Homer out in the flat, far side, has it, turns up field, 10, 5, he dies, touchdown, Seahawks, what a great play call by Shane Waldron. Seven oh three on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. ESPN's Brady Henderson is going to join us in just a second here to preview the Seahawks and the Rams. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, it is the Seahawks. It is the Rams. Uh, if you had told me, pretty much with everything Seahawks this year, I've used this bit, but this one in particular because it also involves the Rams. I don't think anybody anticipated that these two organizations would be in this spot heading into a December <laughs> December 4th game at the beginning of the year. The Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, it's just been a nightmare year. Mm. And the Seahawks, it's interesting because they're sort of cratering back to where we expected them to be. But at a certain point this year, it looked like the NFC West was within their grasp. Do the Rams have a healthy running back? And if so, I'm worried. Any right. running back. Any wow. running back. Doesn't have to be a good running back, just a just a guy that's like, what position are you? I'm yep. the running back. I can, oh, no. I, I can, got one of them. I can both hold the football and run with the football. I can do both <laughs> at the same time. That's dangerous. Uh, more on that now. Let's go to the phone lines. Brady Henderson joins us here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Brady, do the Rams indeed have a, a healthy individual that can run the football? And if so, is that a problem for the Seahawks? <laughs> yeah, I think they, yeah, I think they might have one or two guys. Uh, whether they're any good or not, that remains to be seen. No, I mean, Cam Akers, um, I think he was sidelined briefly this week with an illness, but I think he looks like he is uh, going to be okay. I don't know that for sure, but that looks like the case. Um, yeah, but, I mean, at any rate, the Rams are just a, a mess of a team. And, uh, you know, poor Bobby Wagner, you, you figure that you know, he's got the misfortune of getting cut, and then it looks like he's got sort of the golden parachute where he ends up on – uh, you know, the defending Super Bowl champs, and, and they turn out to be a mess. Um, it's just the, the Rams are just a, a, you know, whatever could go wrong has gone wrong for them, including their running game. Um, and I really think that, you know, the Seahawks obviously coming off those two really bad games against the run. I don't know if you're going to really be able to say that they have fixed themselves uh, both on defense in general and against the run in particular. Uh, if they have a good game against the Rams, it's because you could look at that and say, well, this is a team that is just decimated by injuries and uh, they're not really running the ball. They've, they've got, you know, Matt Stafford's not going to play. So certainly you can gear up to stop the run, not worried about a backup quarterback beating you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know if we're going to learn a whole lot about the Seahawks defense and, and whether or not they're truly fixed after this game. Certainly if they struggle against the Rams, then we'll learn a whole lot and, uh, what we would have learned is that it's a lot worse than we thought, but um, I just don't know if you could say that they're gonna they're gonna get right after this game. Well, compounding the issues here is that the Seahawks have an illness running through the room, and a bunch of guys are missing. And I know uh, Pete Carroll didn't talk to the media yesterday. What do you know about this illness that's run through the room, and how severe it might impact uh, Sunday's game? Yeah, there were eight guys who were out sick uh, for practice yesterday. That was um, there were four on uh, Wednesday. So it looks like it got worse from one day to the next. There was just a ton of 
coaches and other players wearing masks at practice. So uh, don't know what it is, again, because we haven't talked to Pete Carroll. We'll hear from him later today. But um, it did look like it had sidelined a bunch of guys. Now, the, the guys that uh, were sidelined, I think we saw some of them. So I don't know. It didn't seem like it was bad enough to where all those guys had to be home. Uh, there may have been some that I, I didn't see, but um, yeah, that's that's you know injury wise, they're looking good. There was only I think uh, I don't think there was anybody who missed practice yesterday with an injury, but the the illness you do have to worry about. Brady, uh, the run defense though, uh, I thought they figured it out for a few games, but suddenly it's reverted back to what it was at the beginning of the season, and the word for that is embarrassing. Tampa Bay over in Germany, they had an issue stopping the run. And then against the Raiders, that I don't know if it was the worst one of the season in terms of run defense. Uh, I, I, can, I still have memories of Taysom Hill just taking the ball and being like, I'm going for a touchdown. Uh, but the performance against the Raiders was, for me, the most frustrating loss of the season because that was a game that, honestly, the, like the Raiders know how to lose games. And we've seen it this year, and they were willing to lose that game, but the Seahawks were unwilling to win it. And it, it was just very frustrating. I'm just wondering what was being said after that game and what's been said in the lead-up to this game against the Rams. Yeah, there was. You know, they, they said the things that you would expect them to say about how uh, sort of some of those issues from uh, early in the season kind of reared their head again, and really it wasn't – I think it was two things. It was them just getting overpowered at the line of scrimmage. You saw so many plays where, you know, the line of scrimmage was just getting driven back. And I, I think the Raiders really won that battle on both sides of the ball. I think that happened a lot uh, on when Seattle was on offense as well, and all the pressure and all the run game struggles that they had themselves. Uh, but the, there was just a lot of push by the Raiders' offensive line, and you just saw a lot of missed tackles, including. Uh, a bad one on the Josh Jacobs 86-yard touchdown run when you know Ryan Neal uh, is on the sideline because he hurt his elbow uh, and his shoulder, for that matter. But uh, Josh Jones, his backup, is in there, and he just whiffs on the tackle. And, and that's not to single out Josh Jones because a lot of other guys were missing tackles too. But it was, it was I think it was a combination of those two things. And, um, you know, some of that was the fact that they were kind of gearing up to stop Devontae Adams and some of the things they did coverage wise in terms of, you know, keeping um, a, a defensive, excuse me, a defensive back, you know, back in coverage as opposed to having him play in the box as that extra run defender. I think that was part of it. And, and that kind of happened on that last play where you saw they were in a too deep look. Um, so that means that play should go for, you know, seven or eight yards. And then one of your two deep safeties makes the tackle you know, and it's it's a first down, but it's not an 86-yard touchdown run. But when you miss a tackle, then the, you see what happened there. Uh, I was watching and listening to the remarks from Seahawks defensive coordinator Clint Hurt after the game. This was actually yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. And he said, quote, the 86-yard run by Jacobs, quote, it will burn and eat at you for as long as you live. There are games and plays in my career that you'll f never forget, and that's one of those. I admire the fact that he came out there and, and owned it and wore it, but how much is this about Hurt and the defensive coordination, and how much of this is just about they don't have good enough players on defense to make plays, on the, especially when it comes to tackling guys on the ground? It's, it's, yeah, it's both. We heard Pete Carroll say, and I don't think he was necessarily trying to single out Hurt for this, but he said that you know they didn't scheme – scheme it up as well as they should have against Josh Jacobs. And I don't know if he was talking about 
certain scheme things that he didn't mention already, or if he was talking about the the fact that, you know, they had geared up to stop Devontae Adams and, you know, look, it's sort of like pick your poison there. You've got the NFL's third leading rusher in Josh Jacobs, and you've got Devontae Adams who might be the best receiver on the planet. And, you know, they, he had, I think seven catches for 70 something yards. So, um, you know, he didn't take that game over by any means. So if it wasn't Jacobs, then if they didn't pay all that attention to Devontae Adams, then, you know, maybe he goes for a bigger game. I, I don't think he would have gone for 229 yards and an 86-yard touchdown run, but um, I just think they were sort of – there was kind of a pick-your-poison situation there. And then um, the other thing there was – and now I totally – I had a good point to make, and I totally lost my train of thought. Happens so to me all the time, and I don't even have good points to make. I just forget <laughs> stuff. It wasn't that good, relatively <laughs> speaking. Um, we ask us anything Friday here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. You're listening uh, to Brady Henderson from ESPN's NFL Nation here talking about the Seahawks. We actually got an ask us anything in here, Brady, and you could answer this right up your alley. It actually made me think a little bit when it came in. How much better would the Seahawks defense look this year if they had kept Bobby Wagner? Ooh, that's a good one. It is a good one. I never, I mean, here's, I'll give you a chance to think here by jumping in. Um, I, when they, when they made the decision to move on from everything, most notably Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, I always thought, I I don't know if I agree with the Wagner one. It almost felt like they just wanted to wipe the entire slate clean and start fresh, but it's very obvious that Wagner still had more to give, certainly more than what Russell Wilson's had to give in his new digs. And I did wonder if they might regret it only because it put a lot of pressure on linebackers that hadn't had a lot of big game experience reps in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, I think they probably missed him earlier in the season than they do now. And that might seem weird to say when they're coming off the performance that they just came off of, but I actually think that, you know, even though their defense as a whole was pretty lousy, I think Cody Barton has really played well the last few games. He had the interception, uh, in Munich, he had a really nice play on the ball that led to Quandre Diggs, the second interception uh, in this game. And I think for all of the run defense struggles that they had, I don't know if that was necessarily Cody Barton uh, making mistakes there. And so, um, and he, you know, I know Jordan Brooks is really playing the middle linebacker role, but effectively they, they got, they moved on from Wagner and bumped Cody Barton into the starting lineup. So in a way he is sort of replacing him. Um, I don't think that they moved on from Wagner because they thought he just flat out couldn't play anymore. I think it was a matter of, they needed to get faster yeah. on defense and they felt like his play while still productive, it wasn't matching the, you know, $18 million or whatever, $16 million that he was going to make this season. And so uh, they just felt like it was sort of a value move. And so, um, you know, if they had kept Wagner, I think their defense might've been a little better early in the season. Um, it wouldn't be as fast overall. And, you know, you wouldn't have had what 10 million, uh, when you factor in the dead money, whatever that was, you wouldn't have the 10, 12 million, however much they saved to spend elsewhere. And so, um, you know, whatever that money meant, I don't know if your team would be as better overall. So uh, you could make a case that they miss him certainly. And, and he looks like he is still playing pretty well. Um, but there was, you know, there would be a cost to keeping him as well. Uh, the Seahawks are going into this game six and five. They're right in the thick of that mushy middle in the NFC playoff picture. 
The games remaining are at home this week, or sorry, at the Rams this weekend against a battered Rams team. Then we got the Panthers, the 49ers, the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Rams again. So it's six and five, and with that remaining schedule, um, where would you handicap? Where would you put the Seahawks' chances of actually being a playoff team when this is all said and done? I think, yeah, I think they got a good chance, and I would say, you know, our um, our ESPN projections, our simulator, ESPN's football power index, I think it gives it like a sixty-seven percent chance of making the playoffs, even though they fell out of playoff positioning. I think they're now the number eight seed. Uh, in the NFC, but uh, bear in mind, two of the teams ahead of them are Washington and the Giants, and those two teams, as sort of a weird scheduling quirk, I think they play each other twice in the span of three weeks with a bye uh, in between, so you know that um, there's going to be two losses one way or another. There's going to be two losses between those two teams. They've also got the head-to-head win over um, the Giants, and so um, you know, I think their schedule is They've got four of six at home. They certainly have two really tough matchups uh, with Kansas City and San Francisco. Obviously, the Kansas City game, that's an AFC game, so that's not really going to count double in the standings like the NFC games do. Um, And I think that, you know, if you could get to 10 wins, which I think they've got a good chance at doing, um, that's going to give you a very good shot at making the playoffs. Now, if you just look at it, you know, 10 wins, they're sitting at six and five right now. They've got three games that they should be very much favored by, uh, meaning the two against the Rams and the one against Carolina, um, which means to get to 10, they're going to have to win one of those games against a a team right now that that looks decent to very good, meaning either the Jets, which is probably the most winnable of the three, uh, the 49ers or the Chiefs. And so if you, if you knock off one of those, you know, good teams, and take care of business in the other three games, that gets you to 10, uh, and I think that gets you into the playoffs. Brady, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this, as always. Enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, we'll do this again next Friday. All right, I'll try to think of that great point I was going to make, and maybe I'll hit you guys with it next Friday. Write it down <laughs> on, a, on some sort of piece of paper. Just carry it around with you for the rest of the week, and then we'll do it on Friday. Thanks, bud. All right, thank you. See ya. Uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation, here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. We got drama. Folks, we got drama from Qatar. A quick soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. Portugal went up 1-0 on Croatia early in that match. The Koreans then came back and scored, but it was chalked off due to offside on VAR review. Now, the more intriguing one right now is that Ghana and Uruguay have all to play for in this match. I don't know if you remember this. You remember when they these two nations met at the 2010 World Cup? I do not know. Suarez had that very famous goal line uh, red card handball Mm -hmm. to stop a sure goal going in for Ghana. Right, right. And then Ghana missed the penalty. Right. This is the rematch now. Speaking of penalties, uh, it looks as though Ghana's about to get one on video review. The VAR says that, yeah, it'll be a penalty. So in the 17th minute, in a massive, massive moment in this match, uh, Ghana is going to get a penalty, and they could go up one nil on Uruguay. So there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be solved in this group, but it's all happening early as we're barely into 20 minutes in both matches. Uh, this soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pros' choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way. It is Ask Us Anything Friday on the Halford and Bruff Show. Uh, do you have a couple to yeah. do here? Okay, Austin and Langley, Ask Us Anything. What? can team positivity possibly say about the Canucks at this point? 
Is there anything that we can hang our hats on? Not that we're team positivity, but Pedersen's if, season, and even the last two games. And the last two games, been he's been awful. Like that. Uh, Kuzmenko's emergence and how happy he's made Andy. That's a good thing. Andy raised his eyebrows. Every, see, Andy's not even that excited about Kuzmenko and, and, anymore. And I am. And the the I funny am. thing <laughs> about the funny thing about Pedersen's season and Kuzmenko's season is that. There comes with a downside because neither of those guys is locked up long term, and it's a waste of a good year. Yeah, you know. So there's a couple things. Um, the blue line, no. The story overall has been pretty grim. I know some uh, people have been um, positive about Ethan Bear, but I thought he was pretty bad last yeah, night. Yeah, like defensively, I, but, like you you see why this guy. He's, this is his third team, right? Like we we we've seen the story play out with defensemen around the league. And sometimes they they grow into their uh, you know grow into their careers as as they last longer in the league and they go to a different team. And I'm not saying Ethan Bear has been dreadful overall. Like he's he's added something to the Canucks, but last night he wasn't very good. And and you see why, um, you know he he. he couldn't get into the lineup consistently in Carolina and Edmonton was okay trading him. I mean, th- these are the types of players when you just, when you just quote unquote peck away at the roster and add this types of, these types of players, you're, you're not going to find, you're not going to find an unbelievable player there, right? Like Ethan bears a third pair defenseman. Yeah. Like it's great if he plays well and it's not that big of a deal if he doesn't, because you could just put Riley Stillman. I can't believe it. They've done it again. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Gonna miss the PK. Gonna miss the PK. Wow. And, they, and they pan right to Suarez with the camera afterwards. Wow. He's like, it's their weakness. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Just keep giving them penalties. This is That is a huge development, in case you missed it, as we were doing our Ask Us Anything there. Uh, for the second time since 2010 at a World Cup, Ghana has been awarded a massive penalty in a huge game against Uruguay. And they have failed to convert. This is that. That's a really stunning turn of events there. This time it was the captain, Andre Ayew. Wow. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Brian in the van hasn't asked us anything. What's a fair ticket price for the product the Canucks are showing on the ice? I personally wouldn't pay more than $40 for this team, regardless of the themed night. Mm. Yeah, Can I use d- Canadian tire money? Monopoly no. money? No. You know? you you. Um, it depends on the opponent, right? Like Saturday night's game against Arizona. I don't know how much money I'd part with to go see that. But, you know, if certain teams come in, I'd, I'd go see them. But that's that's a hell of a thing to say that your first consideration might be the opponent. Right, the, that's the, Vancouver Grizzlies the, style. The, that's what that was. Yeah, like yeah. That, it's been like that a lot though in the last five, six years, where you're always looking to the opponent yeah. first. You know, it's you sad could, to say, but I, I remember you know when the Whitecaps had that game, the Canadian Championship against TFC, they had fifty percent off all drinks until halftime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I'm talking like alcoholic, non-alcoholic, everything, fifty percent off. I'm entering like yeah, maybe if the crowd is wasted, they won't <laughs> yeah, even notice all uh, these defensive breakdowns. Hey, man, I, I'm only half joking because <laughs> it, like we, how many times have we talked about it? In this current financial climate that we live in, yeah, you know, a lot of like hardworking middle class families that want to take their kids out to see the biggest show in town. Mm-hmm. All the circus? Re- no, not the circus. The bare naked ladies are doing a Christmas tour, but other- <laughs> aside from that, uh, it's it's ridiculously expensive, you know. Yeah, and you can't look. 
God bless the parents that have the wherewithal to do this, but it's almost impossible to take a kid to a game and not get them like a bunch of stuff. At the very mm. least, one thing. One and thing. The one thing's going to still cost you seventeen dollars. <laughs> Eleven dollar t- tub of popcorn, right? Nine fifty for Sour Patch Kids. Like I, it's expensive. I don't know how you guys feel, but I've entered the point of the season already where the midseason apathy is starting to set in, and it's set in a little earlier than it has in. Yeah, it's, 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 it's settled in at the, what, the 20 game yeah, mark? No, it, it truly has. And it's yeah. honestly going to take like this crazy Rutherford Alvin shakeup trade to really, I think, pull me back or this massive long winning streak. Like I'm talking seven, eight games or something like well, that I w- I wonder, before I get excited again. Yeah. I wonder how much of that goes into what ownership is thinking too, right? Like w- the product that they have to sell right now. Tough, and they're still selling sell. it. They're still selling it. Like last night, there were, it was it was pretty much full. There was over eighteen thousand people. Uh, I don't know if that's a full sellout. There were a few empty seats, like just a handful. The night but probably if, helped. But if, but yeah, Rosadine yeah. Was. But if you if you look at, but the same like Washington was was full as well, right? You know, you and, I, and, I, and people will say, well, Ovi, well, well most yeah. most teams have some sort of attraction, right? And even the Arizona game, well, it's a Saturday night game, and uh, you know it's around the holidays. Some some people like to get together and do stuff around the holidays. Not me; I'd rather go into a bunker. But true, um, the, the team is still selling, and you know, a, as much as the Canucks have stunk out the joint a few nights at Rogers Arena, generally there's been a decent pregame vibe, and in the few games where they've played entertaining games. The arena has been absolutely jumping. Like, I still think there's a bit of holdover from the, oh, we're actually allowed to go out and do stuff. Yeah, maybe. Now, right? Yeah, but yeah. but I think I think with that getting a little bit, like, people have kind of not got their fill, but they've, they're, they're, it's, they're feeling a little more back to normal now. Well, you know who's, uh, you know who's after, getting screwed in well, all this? Well, just hold on oh, a sec. Okay. Well, but, but I'm going to be curious to see what um, season ticket holders are going to think going into next season because the economy right now there's a lot of people feeling really stretched there's a lot of people that are looking at their mortgage payments right now and going like those are either like really different mortgage payments or wow I, I looked at the breakdown on the mortgage payment I'm sure paying a lot more interest as a pair to principal companies are looking at it and going man you know like the, the things are pretty uncertain right now maybe we can cut a few things out right now mm-hmm. and this Canucks team without like it's just to me and i hear this from from all my friends it's just the same old same old all the time well i'll add another wrinkle to this and this is something that you've brought up on a number of occasions uh the game day ops people are getting screwed over here because they do a really good job. They, they, they do a great they job. They have made this product. Maybe we can bring a few of those people into the hockey ops. They seem pretty talented. <laughs> yeah, like, but they've made this product entertaining. Yeah. At least in terms of what they give you on a nightly basis. But I'll tell you what, that's going to eventually run out. Like, people are not going to keep showing up just because there's flashy videos and cool intermission gags. It helps, but it, uh, it definitely helps. The in-game it, presentation is excellent. Yeah, but it's not going to – They do an gonna, awesome job. But it's, it's very – I mean, have you ever heard of an organization where that carries you to, like, capacity? It's well, a, no, you got to start winning eventually. It's a results-oriented – but here's the thing. Between that and general apathy setting in and these theme nights kind of becoming less and less endearing, like, all due respect to what happened last night, but I wasn't really getting there, getting in front of the TV 15 minutes early to watch the ceremony. I wasn't. No. They had already celebrated the sittings. They had already celebrated Luongo. And quite honestly, they kind of yeah. biffed it with Luongo 
Because even Luongo had to address it. He's like, I know a lot of people are talking about this being a <laughs> ring of honor versus a retired number thing. Like, it's, you know, I don't know at what point that stops becoming a draw, you know? Like, are we going to have, like, Jeff Cowan, Brabarian night? Just uh, you, well, Now like, you're on to something. See, yeah. you might have to Everyone start, gets a bra to throw into the ice. Yeah, like, you might have to start going down the road of, you know, how much, how much nostalgia can we continue to bring up just right. to keep things afloat? And I don't know. By the way, Uruguay just scored. So it's now 1-0 Uruguay at the World Cup. What a turn of events. I feel really bad for Ghana right now. Hopefully they can recover because I was kind of pulling for them. Okay. Uh, we got to go to break. We still have an hour and a half left on a Friday show. And Friday shows are busy. We got a lot to do. We're going to get right back into the Canucks talk, specifically Canucks goalie talk, uh, Luongo and Demko with Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingle Magazine. He's going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Demko makes another save. Here's a rebound for Hornquist. And then Lombard jams it in on the third opportunity. Demko's down and in obvious pain in the Canucks crease as the Panthers celebrate. And Ryan Lombard makes it 3 to nothing, And they're going to have to get the training staff out to attend to the Vancouver goaltender. 7.33 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program. We are right in the midst of it. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, you heard the call coming back from break there. That was Brendan Batchelor in yesterday's 5-1 loss. The Canucks lost to the Florida Panthers. They also lost the services of starting netminder Thatcher Demko. We do not have an update on Demko's injury, the severity, anything really. There wasn't an update after the game. Uh, we don't know much. And to be fair, the injury happened late at night and it's 7.30 in the morning. I wouldn't expect any kind of update until later uh, this morning or maybe into the afternoon. But uh, let's discuss this more. Joining us now, NHL.com, In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Kev. How are you? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm better than the Canucks. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. I, low bar. Low, low bar. Low bar. There's not a lot going right. You know, we, it, to, but to think that so many bad things could happen in the span of a minute, it's almost mind-boggling. Like you, you give up three goals, which is something in its, of itself. You lose your starting netminder to an injury. Now, look, I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you play uh, armchair doctor here. I said the same thing to Laddie this morning when we were talking about it. Like, it's not fair. It's not right. But uh, watching it, maybe just run us through what it was like watching from a goalie's perspective, three goals in 59 seconds and then capping it off with what looks to be a fairly serious injury, at least by the way that Demko couldn't even get off the ice on his own. It was all a little bit surreal, to be honest with you, because I was still trying to figure out how the second one went in. Um, up on press row, the, the Rogers feed is like literally over a minute behind on the TV screens above us. So you're watching the replay on the ice, then you're looking up and waiting for the actual. So I was still trying to figure out how the second one went in or if it hit something, and the third one had already gone in. And so it was just kind of chaos um, in terms of trying to figure out what the hell was happening. But as soon as you saw the replays on the third one, uh, it was pretty clear to me it was the initial save. Um, with the right pad and the way he went down uh, and then the way he reacted after that, it looked, uh, it, it didn't look good. Um, it could be one of many things, lower body uh, related for a goaltender. 
the hunch, and again, like you said, not doctors, who knows, and you can, I know everybody said he grabbed his hamstring, but my hunch would be probably, it, it certainly looked like a knee, um, you hope it's not, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him for six weeks, but you know, you've seen things that look a lot worse, and after a day, you know, this, there's no structural damage, and it's shorter term, so you you just kind of you hope for the best for a guy who's had a really tough season but had been just absolutely working his ass off to try and get out of it. And that was – it was just much like a lot of this season for Canucks fans. Uh, as, 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 as a goalie person, as a guy who talks to him on a, on a regular basis, it was just disheartening to see him down on the ice like that. And, um, yeah, you just – you hope for the best. Um, but the way this season has gone, I, I guess you probably can't expect the best. So, Kev, you think it happened on the initial shot because he kicked out a pretty juicy rebound right into, think, into the middle yeah, of the ice? Yeah, I think he got caught moving one way and extending the other ever so slightly. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously not pretending in any way, shape, or form that, that the way the rest of us play goal is anything like what Thatcher Demko does. Um, but I think every goalie's had that sensation on a low shot to the perimeter where you kick it out and – uh, quite often, it's sort of just above the knee, inside the groin, where you feel that one. Like it's it's or or MCL. Um, it's it's not all that uncommon, to be honest with you, to sort of j- on that low shot. Um, if you move into it ever so awkwardly and you extend, um, you're you're putting. I mean, the whole position, the butterfly, is unnatural to the human body. Um, if you're a goalie, you've experienced that. It's actually, and it, you're almost angry because it seems somewhat innocuous. It's just a low shot along the ice you're extending for, but you do it in a way um, that leads to injury. Like, I, damn near every goalie listening to this is nodding their head right now, I guarantee it. Um, except for Balak, he never gets injured because he never extends. Ah, he's shaking his head no, too. You were right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have to He's actually, a stand-up goalie. I know how to prepare on like Woodley. I can, I can stretch properly. Woodley's just old, you know. He breaks down more often. Yeah, bite me, Balak. Anyways, um, but here's the thing. So I'm not going to play a doctor, uh, obviously. Uh, we'll see. Like I said, hope for the best. Um, but I do wonder. Uh, there, I had a conversation with a guy who, who does see these things much better than I. And I'd been told throughout this season um, that, you know, the struggles weren't related to the procedure in the offseason, that it wasn't an injury thing for Thatcher Demko. And I had a conversation yesterday with a guy who looks at it from a physiology perspective, a biomechanical perspective. This is a guy who uh, works with goalies um, right up to the National Hockey League, some really big names. Uh, and I've seen him do things on the ice. I was on the ice with Braden Holpe a number of summers ago, and he watched for an hour, and we thought Holtz looked really good. And, and as he comes off the ice, he had noticed a little hitch in his movement and asked him if he was feeling, I think it was like a, it was like a, a tightness in a, an abductor. And Holby was like, how the hell do you see that through all the equipment? And so the irony here is this conversation was yesterday, it was two days ago before the game. And he asked me about Demko and about a little bit of a hitch in the way he was going to the ice. And he saw some asymmetry in the way Demko was going to the ice. And so in other words, not going down perfectly symmetrical and what he wondered was because of the asymmetry when you drop it tends to twist your upper body a little bit as you go down which throws our quote-unquote scope off in terms of our head and our tracking and would lead to a lot of sort of shots that we would expect you to handle cleanly up high that maybe you don't 
because you're not seeing the puck quite the way your body's not moving down into the puck the way it always has because you've got this you're going to the ice sort of one side ever so slightly. I'm talking like what this guy sees in real time I, I need video to go back and, and even see ever so slightly but that's all it takes and you know think of the number of high shots this year that we're used to seeing Thatcher handle cleanly that have bounced off him and gone the other way and so he had me intrigued as this conversation starts and I, like I feel like I'm going to literally need to pull out the tape on the recording on this and prove that it was recorded a day before. He said that the danger is when you have that slight twisting in the upper body as you go down because of this asymmetry, um, it adds a lot of torque to the knee, and it was the right knee. And so damn near prophetic, and a night later this happens, and, you know, it leads to some questions. I, I would hope that, that it's something that can be addressed through training, um, through sort of prehab and exercises before you go on the ice, and I would hope that that was happening with the Vancouver Canucks. We've got a, a whole new staff in, in, in place there. Um, but it was interesting that an outsider watching on TV could notice this, and then when you look at a video, you could see it, and then a night later we have what you, you know, I wouldn't say an innocuous play because it was a whole bunch of left, right, left, right in that game for Thatcher Demko, um, but to, to lead to an injury that looks at least looks in the moment somewhat catastrophic, um, like I said, prophetic, uh, but there was a sign there that maybe something wasn't completely right heading in. Kev, where does this leave the Canucks? Let's say, let's say for example, that Demko's out for a month or over a month, uh, an extended period. What do the Canucks have in the system? And, well, basically... How much more screwed are they? Because they're already a little bit screwed. Actually, they're already a lot screwed. But how much? How how much more screwed are they? Well, let, let's let's first of all, if it is an MCL, you can be back in six, but you don't feel right for four months. Um, whether it's Carey Price or Ryan Miller, these are conversations I've had with a lot of goalies. You can come back and play, but you're not back. You're not fully healed for four months. So um, let's hope it's not that. Uh, obviously Spencer Martin's done a hell of a job and he's going to have to do it on a much more regular basis. And that's a step up. Like that's a change, like being in the NHL and then being the guy in the NHL and doing it day in, day out, like how you manage your body, how you manage your rest, how you manage your game when you don't have time uh, to get the extra work in. Those are all challenges that every goalie faces when they take that step. And it's going to be a challenge for him. Um, beyond that, it's Colin Delia. I don't know what they're going to do in the American hockey league guys. Cause they, you know, they they moved Michael DiPietro to Boston, and ironically found out later Boston didn't actually want him. This was about the Canucks needing to get off a contract and had somebody that wanted out. Um, I believe he's in the ECHL. Boston didn't have a spot for him. Um, but the Canucks don't have a fifth. That was kind of what I said. You know, as everybody said, just trade him, just trade him. And obviously they needed to move a contract before the Bear deal. But one of the sort of caveats was, well, if you give them away, you've lost your insurance policy in the five hole. You don't have somebody to come up and be your backup in the American Hockey League in Abbotsford. Now, they don't have that. They don't have that signed in the organization. Now, you can sign a guy to an American Hockey League contract. There are plenty of guys in the coast that aren't on those deals that you can sort of promote. But they don't have someone who's sort of a part of the organization and could benefit from the time and is part of their system and is going to be a part of the future of the Vancouver Canucks. They don't, they don't have that to fill the hole in Abbotsford. So uh, at this level, it's Spencer Martin and Colin Delia, who has made strides slower than they would like, um, but is going to get a whole lot of Ian Clark now, uh, and let's see if you know if he can 
sort of take the things he's trying to adjust in his game and get comfortable with them quickly at this level because you aren't going to be able to play Spencer Martin every night. Like, that's just the reality. That's not a Spencer Martin thing. That's an NHL goaltender thing. So, um, yeah. Hey, listen, honestly, I, I heard you. I was driving my daughter to volleyball as you broke broke down the goals, bruv. And, uh, <laughs> like, I don't think it matters who's in net. When, yeah. when the defending is, you know, there were a couple in there. Like, I turned to somebody after the – the uh, the tic tac toe, not the fifth. I guess that was the fourth. The fourth one, one yeah. It was yeah, a nice goal, but like, terrible defensive. My Monday night pickup skate, guys would be getting yelled at for yeah. that. Yeah. Like that was just brutal, brutal. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care who you have in goal, um, unless that improves. And we see signs every once in a while, but their inability to sustain it is, uh, I would say, almost remarkable, but more just troubling. I don't know that it matters who's in net. Uh, for the record, our friend Rick Dollywall is saying the Canucks will know more today on Demco. Early so word, injury. early word, it could possibly be a groin injury. Uh, of course, Dollywall says that's not confirmed, but early word, maybe a groin injury for Thatcher Demko. Uh, and that's usually what you have happen when you extend out. Like, like I said, you usually it's in the groin right. or MCL. Uh, Kev, I want to talk about. Uh, Roberto Luongo going into the Ring of Honor. I know you've already had your say on this station, but it was pretty um, glaring to me that Luongo even addressed that in his speech, and he's addressed that in his remarks to the media. Um, that don't. It was almost like he was playing protector to the franchise. Like, don't worry about it. It's 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 not bothering the, me that much. The the thing that matters is the nights like tonight where like we can all be together and, you know, kumbaya, et cetera, et cetera. But there's he handled a lot of beautifully, didn't he? Yeah, he handled it. I mean, uh, you know, I don't I think the word class gets thrown around too much, but he did handle that with class and and with grace. That's yep. a better word. Um, but I think the decision to announce that Ring of Honor um, honor, if you want, if you want to call it, which a lot of people felt was a slight, it was a really curious decision by the organization on that day to announce it when they must have known that it would create some debate and some hard feelings in this franchise. What did you think just about the decision to announce it on a day where they were going to honor Roberto Luongo and the Sedins for going into the Hall of Fame, and yet? what they what it led to was just all sorts of arguing about whether or not they'd actually slapped Luongo in the face. Yeah, and I thought he handled it beautifully by making it clear that he didn't feel slapped in the face and yet um you know it's also pretty clear that the honor that I think a lot of us feel should be bestowed on him one rung higher um you know I I think there's a recognition on his part too that that like hey he's on the second tier here. Um, and I don't think he knows why, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, as a matter of fact, I know he doesn't know why. Like, there is no explanation on this. Um, you know, the, the press release matches what he was told, that it was the decision of the committee, and yet you can't find out who's on that committee. And there's sort of questions about whether the committee is about who goes into the ring of honor, of honor or whether they decide, you know, who rises above that tier. I had other people suggest that that decision went beyond the committee. So there's un- uncertainty there. Um, at the end of the day, as well as Luongo handed it, handled it, as much as we the, the, sort of in the media debated it, uh, I think what 
maybe jumped out to me more than anything was conversations with people around the league and talking to others who had conversations with the group that was here in 2011 and, and part of that, that, that they felt that it was not a slap in the face, but just a miss, just a pure miss. Like you said, the timing, whatever it was, the, the fact that this, there didn't seem to be a lot of lead up to this, like that Roberto fa- like found out based on the way he described it, like only very recently. Um, I, I go back to the renovations. Like everything just feels a little haphazard. As much as we, there's a lot of speculation about who made this decision and it being a slight. This may just be a mistake. Like this may not be purposeful. This may just may be, and it's a strong word, but this just may be incompetence. But it's a word that somebody else in the NHL used to me uh, when describing what it looked like from afar to have a goalie of that stature that did that had his best years in this organization. Not raised to the rafters. Yeah. On a night you celebrated him alongside two guys whose numbers were. Yeah. Like, that's how it looked to the outside. Mm-hmm. It looked like the organization pooched it. That's what people think of the decision. And not just Canucks fans or Canucks media who are biased, as I've admitted, about, about you know, my feelings and having covered a guy who I think, and the Sedins will tell you, set the standard for the greatest generation of, so far of Vancouver Canucks hockey. But people from the outside saw the same thing. It's not just us debating it. And so I just think, you know, so whether it's malice, whether it's hard feelings, um, or whether it's just a, an absolute miss by the decision makers and those in charge, it's not a good look. And, you know, maybe it, maybe, maybe it, is the, maybe it was the way he left, but you set the precedent with Burray. Like that's, if Burray's not up there, 100% that argument is there, but you set that precedent, and he's not unaware of that. He, he like he he's very aware, you know. So um, it just, yeah. I just thought it was a, I just thought it was a really bad look, and I wasn't the only one. It wasn't just people in this market that noticed it. Um, you know, I, I hate to I'll be careful what I say here, but like the Ring of Honor, we didn't do a write up in NHL.com. Right. We we did one on the ceremony before because that was to honor Hall of Famers, but there was no. I I didn't have to write after Luongo's press conference because it doesn't move the needle because it's a tier below and it's a tier below what a, what a hockey Hall of Famer deserves. And on the salary on the cap recapture, I, I heard Sat uh, you know report that um, there was an opportunity here for the Canucks to reacquire the contract and put it on LTIR. And I don't know that it was ever that simple. I don't know that's a simple you know, thing to do. And so maybe it's, it's unfair to say that, that that was something that was easy and that they should have pulled off. But my understanding is it was suggested because a lot of people blame him for that, right? For retiring and hanging them, leaving them hanging with that recapture penalty. Well, my understanding is the person that suggested the idea of trading the contract back to give the Canucks an opportunity to put it on LTR is none other than the guy they slighted last night, Roberto Luongo. From the greatest goalie in franchise history to the current fifth-string goalie on the active roster. Kev, you cover it all, bud. You do it all, and you do it well. Thanks for joining us today, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I mean, clearly a lot had to go down in Canucks goaltending that we didn't have time for me to rant about the 
stupidity of goalies knocking the pegs off and people around the NHL, including working in the NHL, thinking it's on purpose. But we just have topics for the next time we get together. We do. Thanks, bud. We'll do this next time. Cheers. All the, all the best, guys. Uh, Thanks, buddy. Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and Ingold Magazine here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Can we get into the pegs thing? Come on, guys. No. Let's go. No, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I thought the, the, the fifth goalie contract in the organizational's depth chart was enough. Goalie minutia for the I day. would love the pegs conversation, but I... The listeners probably. <laughs> yeah. Got to be a better way to say that. Yeah, I'm gonna make yeah. A, I was gonna make a joke, but I'm holding holding my tongue. It's fine. I for those that don't know what Greg is talking about, there was the um, what do we call it? A mini brewing controversy midweek. This is and it's all Matt Murray's fault, right? Well, started with Murray, then it went to Spencer Knight, I believe. Right, he knocked the net off as well. And it's about goalies obviously intentionally knocking the net off to gain an unfair advantage over their playing brethren on the ice, which they would never right. do because we use the net to push off, and you can't push if the net is flying five feet towards the boards. See, even though you didn't want to talk about pegging, here we are talking about pegging. You, you why do going. goalies? Why do goalies always have so many excuses? Why do they lack such accountability? It's always, <laughs> it's always someone else's fault. It's always the defenseman's fault. It's always, oh, the net's not on, um, you know, solid enough for what you know. I love, and, you know, I love, I like, to, like yeah. no one, no, a goalie, according to Laddie, has never like cheated, done anything wrong. Every goalie. Every goalie should have his number retired. Except for uh, Jordan Bennington. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one. He's the one. Okay, we got a lot more to get into on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, if you've noticed, we've been conspicuously quiet on the Ask Us Anything front. Uh, part of that is we're going to do a bunch of them in the final half hour of the program. Uh, the other part of it is it has been a busy day. There's a lot going on. We've had a lot of different conversations. And we're going to go... Uh, even further afield coming up next with Moj. Did you know this? We just got a text from A-Dog tipping us off. Moj has some breaking news regarding the potential future of, for now, BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, oh, so okay. Moj is going to join us on the other side. You're going to want to hear that segment. He's got some updates on where <laughs> Rourke might be playing football next year. Normally it's just food-related. Like, what kind of eggs do you like, well, that's Moj? True well. We probably will get to the egg talk as well. We still got to give away those tickets as well. So right, well, more Ask Us Anything. On the subject of Ask Us Anythings, uh, Moj will do one. We're going to uh, file more away in the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. But I'll remind you now. Uh, text in your Ask Us Anything, or you can do what we learn, but preferably Ask Us Anything. Hashtag AUA, hashtag WWL. You can either ask us anything or tell us what you learned in the last 24 hours in sports, but you got to add the ticket emoji to the text. If you want the tickets for Saturday against Arizona, if you want them. 7 o'clock Saturday night, Rogers Arena, pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and the Coyotes. And to answer your question, uh, there will be no sweetener involved in the tickets a bunch of people are like what else do i get is it just the ticket it's just it's just the a tickets, large okay? alcohol bill <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and you gotta pay that yeah. uh you're listening to the halford and Bruff show on sportsnet 650